Welcome into the Level Flight Podcast. My name is Connor. I've got Brian here with me today. And in just a few moments, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic will be joining us. We just wrapped up the interview with Scott. It was great. Brian, Scott Wheeler joining the program. What were your thoughts? I mean, as always, this is now the second time he's been on the show with us. He has allowed us to sort of look a little bit closer at some of these guys that we're really you know, excited about, but we don't exactly know the full story sometimes. So we got a chance to really, you know, hear about, you know, our, the the guys at the World Juniors, Rob McGordy, um, you know, Elias Salmonson, Fabian Wagner uh, was, you know, there as well. But we also, we brought it back to North America, talking about guys like Brad Lambert, uh, you know, Chaz Lucius and his injury problems. And even at the NHL level, we had a nice conversation about Cole Perfetti. So, yeah, as always, Scott was terrific and uh, one of one of my favorite, uh, you know, interviews that we have. So um, and, you know, maybe we'll see him again later this year, too. Yeah, that would be fun. And as always, you can find Scott's stuff at The Athletic. He plugged a bunch of stuff you'll hear in the episode. He's got a bunch of rankings coming up. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. And thank you once again to Scott for taking the time. He talked about how busy of a time it is. So we are very gracious that he took the time to uh to be on this episode. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to Scott soon and enjoy the interview, everyone. This is Danny Julkin, and you're listening to the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome back into the Level Flight Podcast. My name is Connor. I am joined by Brian today. And like we said at the end of the last episode, we've got a special guest joining us. He joined us a few months ago. The World Juniors happened. He's the guy, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Scott, how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing well. Ramping up for my uh, 32 prospect pool rankings here. This is kind of my busiest. This next month or so is kind of my busiest time of the year, even busier than the draft year, at least from a work standpoint, just because I have so much writing to do like it ends up being hundred thousand plus words for the 32 pieces plus i got trips and other stories to write while i'm doing all of that so uh trying to get a head start on it i've got like the first nine or ten of them written at this point uh jets fans will be happy to know that the jets aren't in that first uh first (laughs) nine or ten which is positive um but yeah, it's uh, this. This is this is the the sort of final grind after a busy month with the World Juniors and Selection Camp and the two top prospects games in Canada and the U.S. And we're just sort of ramping up now to finish this, and then hopefully in February, March, I'll have a little bit of a breather. Yeah, I remember seeing your coverage during the Juniors, and to think that you're you're busier now is is crazy because that was that was a lot uh, in that little ten day span or whatever that was, but. Yeah, um, we're glad to have you back on. Thanks for the time. Um, let's start with the World Juniors and the team that won. Let's start at the top. Team USA, Rucker McGordy was the captain. Um, obviously, he had that that back injury, rib injury, um, mm. that kept him out of the pre-tournament, the, the getting up to speed. He played the first game, clearly looked rusty. Um, once he got back up to speed, 
what did you see out of Rutger in this tournament um, as a player and leading the team to to gold? Yeah, I, I think in the second half of the tournament, he looked like himself, which was sort of what you were hoping for. You knew after he'd been in a non-contact jersey through their through their selection camp and didn't really participate in the, in the pre-tournament action and wasn't really even skating fully in terms of contact practices until really the tournament began, in essence. Uh, you knew that it was going to take him a little bit of time, and it did. Uh, I thought he sort of you don't want to say he didn't play well because he was still working his way back, but he wasn't the the Rutger that you expect in those first few games. Uh, then he sort of looked like himself. He was holding onto pucks. He was going to sort of the slot to the home plate area, if you will, to create looks for himself and get open for himself. He was working. Uh, there were some playmaking sort of elements that, that sort of began to shine through in terms of facilitating for his line mates, whether that was Cutter Gauthier and uh, Oliver Moore or Cutter Gauthier and Jimmy Snuggerud. Yeah, they they kind of rotated more and uh, and Snuggerud on and off of that line. Uh, and then obviously he wore the C and he was the usual Rutger in front of the media for sure in terms of just a ton of life, great, just character. And, and I don't mean character in... Uh, the sort of classic hockey sense of sort of character guy. I mean, character in terms of the the personality, like he's uh jets fans are going to love him that way. He's kind of one of a kind. He's got a ton of life and uh, charisma and just uh, sort of a great energy about him. So um, yeah, it's, it's obviously before the injury uh, before the rib injury, he was one of the best players in college hockey at the start of this season uh, you just hope that he can sort of get back to that now, um, and then they've got they've likely got a decision on the spring in the spring on him in terms of whether it's time to turn pro or whether he goes back for his junior year. So uh, that's that's sort of the next step for him is go on a, a nice run in uh, in Big Ten play with Michigan, and then if you can get through that and you can be a top player, uh, what does that look like in terms of is it time or is he ready to to take that next step? And I mean, with what we've seen so far, and obviously that the leadership, the media work, everything, uh, Jets fans have fallen in love with him just because of how great he is in front of the camera. But yeah. in terms of his, you know, on ice stuff, what would you say sort of a realistic floor ceiling would be for him? Obviously, he's working his way back from that injury. Um, and to put you on the spot, uh, are there any current NHL comparisons that sort of come to mind? Well, in terms of the floor ceiling, high floor guy for sure. Like he's going to be an NHL player. There, it's there. There isn't a lot of risk there in terms of that kind of a projection, uh, because of how sort of strong he is. You, you run into him around the rink, you quickly learn that he's a, a pretty sort of physically mature kid in terms of muscle mass and that kind of a thing. Uh, because of the character piece, because of how well rounded his game is, he's he's going to play. Like, and he's and he's one of those guys who, as a first round pick, isn't. Uh, in, in the way that Brad Lambert is, for example, isn't a sort of top six or nothing guy like Brad Lambert's not going to play on a fourth line in the NHL. That's just not who he is. Uh, a different story with Rutger. You could see him playing in a bottom six role for the first few years of his career and then sort of working his way up in the prime of his career into more of a, a sort of prominent role. That's that's a, a realistic path for him to take. And that's not true for everybody. And that's a good thing. That's a that's a good uh, those are good assets to have. So um, ceiling. I think you're looking at sort of 
if he's a PP two, if he's a second line winger and a PP two guy, the, the ceiling for those types of players is like 50 points, right? Like that's, that's typically what you hope for out of that kind of a player. Can he get onto a first power play in the prime of his career? That's probably the difference between 50 and 60 points, but that's kind of the player you're looking at. He's not going to be a star. He's not going to be a point per game guy. He's not going to be Mark Shifley. Uh, but I, I, I think you're hoping that he can be, just a really good player, like the kind of player who makes five, six million dollars instead of eight, nine million dollars, right? Like that's that's sort of the the projection for him. Um and and who gives you a lot, who gives you playmaking, who gives you goal scoring, who works. Uh there, there's he's he's got good feel on the puck and uh, the strength piece and all of that. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at. And as, as far as projection goes, I forget who the, who I used. I'd have to go back through my old notes to see who I used in his draft year, because uh, I, I do do a sort of comparisons piece uh, ahead of each draft. Um, but just to sort of off the top of my head, I think look around the league at sort of really well-rounded guys, guys who've had really sort of solid careers. I, I player like Brock Nelson comes to mind with the Islanders um that that tj oshi with with washington like that's kind of i think what you're you're looking for maybe uh um who's the who's the the former flame who's now uh with the devils um anyways there uh tower to foley yeah. yeah to foley comes to mind yeah. uh th- those types to foley oshi uh brock nelson i think that's that's kind of the the player you're hoping that he becomes Am I way off to think Nino Niederreiter to keep it in a Jets uh, landscape? Yeah, I think yeah. at his ceiling, he's got a chance to be better than Nino for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's that that fits more or less as well. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um. Yeah. Great stuff on Rutger. Let's let's move on. The gold medal game. I mean, all three Jets prospects were actually in the game. On the other side, Sweden. Um, Elias Salomonson had a rough start to the tournament. He he had the one game suspension after the hit from behind. Fabian Wagner kind of played a depth role for Sweden. Um, but on Salomonson, we we talked to you a couple months ago. You said the World Juniors would be huge for him, um, mm-hmm. putting his game on the national stage. What do you think he did with that opportunity? And uh, has your has your outlook on him as a prospect really changed before or after the the juniors? I thought he was good. I, I didn't think he really grabbed it. Uh, obviously, get, getting a, it was really a two-game suspension in essence because he took the, he delivered that hit on right. his very first shift of the tournament. So uh, about twenty-five seconds in, if I recall correctly, to the tournament. So um, that that was tough for him. It just set him back. I did think once he got back, he ended up on a pairing with Axel Zandine Pelika, who he obviously plays with with Skaleftia. They're very familiar with each other. Uh, I thought that was a really good pairing for them. They, when he initially got back, I was a little surprised at how underutilized they were. They were playing like 17, 18 minutes, the first mm-hmm. couple of games back. But then when the games mattered, you go back and you look at those game sheets and he was playing, they were, I mean, Sandy and Pelica was playing 25, but he was also, Sal Monson was also playing 21, 22. So uh, it was a real, it was tough to stand out on that blue line for, for the Swedes, just because of how strong they were. They had seven legitimate defensemen. Uh, oddly enough, Theo Winstein, the, the Blues first rounder, late first rounder, was sort of the latest addition to the team, the youngest blue liner on that team. And he might have been the standout. He wasn't even supposed to be on that team, if not for injuries to Cali Odelius and Jacob Norin. Uh, so it, it was it's difficult when when you have three pairings and you can roll them and you're not like Slovakia with Maxim Sturback, where Maxim Sturback was playing 28 minutes a night. 
Uh, it, it can be a little bit more difficult to sort of rack up points. He wasn't a focal point on the power play. Uh, so it's harder to shine through offensively that way. Uh, but he, the, the things that he does, I think he still did well, even if he didn't sort of dominate games. Uh, and that starts with his skating. He's an excellent, excellent skater. He's a really big, strong kid. I think he's only like six foot, six foot one, but he looks bigger than that when you when you see him around there. Like he carries around some weight. Uh, not to say that he's like fat or overweight or anything, but he does carry, he's a little, a little doughy. Uh, and I know he's worked hard to sort of get into great shape. He's got natural, natural athleticism in terms of the skating ability and the mobility. Uh, and you just hope that he can be a two-way transition guy at the next level. Like, I think that's the projection for Elias is he can be hopefully more than a six, seven, that ideally he's a four five for you, who is just really good in both ends. And the transition game really shines. Like he can join the rush. He can activate, he can carry pucks up ice. He can be that fourth forward into the zone and catch up to the forwards in front of him with his skating. And then if he makes a mistake or he gets caught down ice with his skating, he can recover and get back. So uh, there's a lot to like about Sal Monson. Uh, he was supposed to be a first rounder. If you guys recall sort of into his mm -hmm. draft year was supposed to be a first rounder. Then he had a, after an excellent draft minus two year kind of had a bit of a disappointing draft year. Uh, but he's been great ever since then. He, he broke his leg last year and that sort of set him back. Uh, but he was great in the front half of that season. He's been a really solid SHL player for his age playing sort of 17 minutes in the SHL, which is one of the top two or three pro leagues in the world right now. Uh, so the, he's, he's a legit prospect. He's not an A level prospect, but he's like a legit B B plus D prospect that you sort of pen, you don't pencil him in, uh, but you, you sort of project that if he sort of stays on this path, he's, he's going to be in the mix for the NHL roster at some point. Yeah. And just sticking with Sweden, I, I kind of want to go away from the, the hockey. Well, I guess it is the hockey, but I want to talk about Gothenburg as a host city. I mean, the game Canada versus Sweden was incredible. You had Canadian fans filling the building. Obviously, the Swedish fans were there. And then the gold medal game was nuts, too. They they were, like, yeah. chanting the entire first period. And then USA took a bit of a lead, and they, they started to quiet down, obviously, because their, their team was losing a little bit. But um, just what can you say about Gothenburg as not only a host city for the, the in-game atmosphere, but what you saw outside of the rink? Um, maybe on the streets with with fans all across the world coming to watch their teams. Yeah, it it was it was great. Uh, I've obviously covered a few tournaments. Uh, I don't know what number this was. It would have been World Juniors number eight or nine, something like that. The majority of those are in North America, but I've now been to two in Ostrava and uh, in Gothenburg. And the atmosphere in Ostrava was great. The big difference between Ostrava and Gothenburg was that Ostrava, the arena was owned by a beer company and they were selling beer in a, beer in the Czech Republic is literally gets sold for like a dollar, $2 Canadian for a pint. Uh, and so people were building snakes and everybody was hammered in the arena and the vibe was different. <laughs> Uh, in, in Gothenburg, they don't actually allow drinking in the stadium. There are designated okay. little drinking areas on the concourse. That's very common in soccer, in European soccer as well. They don't want people with cups and stands. It's a different atmosphere. They want people standing rather than sitting, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but as a result, a, a, a tamer audience in terms of just how boisterous and rowdy it was, and yet the organization of the chants and the stomping and the jumping and the the yeah. clapping and everything that uh, maybe because people were sober and dialed in 
that was uh, that was it was cool to see. Uh, like I'm talking this that that arena was almost the size of where the Jets play. There was 11, 12,000 fans in there and they were all in unison. It didn't matter what jersey you were wearing. Canadians were chanting with the Swedes and they were trying to learn the chants. They had this anthem that they'd play over the speakers that I think is like a soccer anthem in, in Swedish soccer that they would play and everybody would sing along to it. The vibes were were immaculate like it was it was it was great that way so um no no issues there Gothenburg as a city is is beautiful like great mm-hmm. spot outside the rink the bars were just full of people in jerseys all week long they'd run into us in the media and some of us would have our credentials on or whatever after a game and everybody wants to ask you about such and such Swedish player and talk <laughs> to you about Forsberg and Sundin and Henrik Lundqvist Lundqvist is obviously a legend in Gothenburg, mm-hmm. Rwanda is the team there, and both of the Lundqvist brothers are are like icons in that town. So that part was great. The the only downside of Gothenburg is this time of the year there's only four or five hours of sunlight every day mm-hmm. uh, because of how far north they are. It's it's pretty much dark all the time. So uh, that makes that made it less of a sort of tourist trip for a lot of people. I think I think people were really hoping to see Sweden and see the city when they were there, especially the Canadians that went over. And then you just didn't really get that experience because you're going into the rink and it's dark out and you're coming out of the rink and it's dark out. And my wife kept texting me for pictures and that kind of thing. I'm like, look, it's pitch black. There's, there's nothing to, uh, (laughs) there's nothing to take pictures of. So uh, that part of it was different. It'll be the opposite. When I go to Finland for U18 worlds, Uh, I've done U18 worlds in Germany and Switzerland already. And this will be my first time in Finland uh, for U18 Worlds this spring, and it'll be the opposite, right? It's going to be 20, at that time of the year in May, it'll be 20, 21 hours of sunlight. So they get the extremes there. You need your, uh, you need your blackout blinds if you're, uh, yeah. if you're living in Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> we know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet $5 on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY or 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-QUADRUPLE-7 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. Well, to bring it back now to North America um, and to sort of focus in more on things that are actually going on within the Jets organization, um, I want to ask about Brad Lambert, who mm-hmm. he is now a AHL All-Star um, how impressed have you been with his season sort of to date and how much of, do you think sort of has to do with him being moved to center? Well, f- first of all, I'm just happy for him. Uh, I've talked with Brad a couple of times over the years in terms of the way that he's perceived some of the criticisms of him. I've actually 
sort of asked him pretty pointed questions about them over the years. And he was very blunt with me. He's a very confident kid, uh, bordering on, on cocky. And I think that rubbed some people the wrong way in terms of the combine process and the draft process. He's a big believer in himself. Uh, and that belief has paid off this year and and really last year in taking his lumps in going down i spoke with him at the memorial cup in Kelowna, uh or in kamloops sorry and he wasn't he wasn't happy about being in the whl last year and just made the most of it worked to round out his game played some center there is now playing center again uh, I, I think it helps him when he's in the middle because it, it forces him to be involved. One of the big criticisms of his game was sort of the way that he could come and go in games and drift to the perimeter and cheat up ice and that kind of a thing. As a center, you've got to, you've got to come low. He gets touches earlier when he comes low and he's a lot, he's able to use his skating to exit the zone because he's getting pucks low and he's winding up and he's, he's, he's sort of flying down ice. So in that way, he's not getting as many pucks at a standstill. He's getting pucks in motion uh he's he sort of has to be more engaged and more competitive as a centerman all of those things i think are good for him and then the natural gifts of the athleticism the skating another year of strength despite how freakishly athletic he is as a skater he's never been a very strong kid he's always been kind of long and wiry so there was always work to do to add muscle and to fill out his frame there's still going to be work over the next couple of years that he's going to have to do to put in some weight or sort of add some weight um but the skill is there. The play selection has improved. I think that's a really important note. There was a lot of criticism for a time of shooting into shin pads, skating into trouble, too much one and done. He started to make better decisions with the puck. He started to involve his line mates more. All of that has helped him. And then the natural skill can take over in moments rather than him trying to force moments. Right. So uh, it's been, it's been fun to watch. He's it, it, there's not many kids who are, sort of leading scorers in the AHL at 20 years old, right? So uh, credit to him for rounding out his game, get, earning some trust with the coaching staff, with the Moose, and now he he looks like Brad Lambert again. He looks like he's on an NHL path again, and that's that's really exciting considering where they drafted him. Yeah, and I remember that, that slide, the draft year. Um, he was supposed to go top five before the year, kind of similar to what you said about Sal Monson, who he had a really good D-2 year, and then the draft year was was not great. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great to see. And then there's, there's another prospect on the moose. We're kind of going the different direction. Um, another first round pick Chaz Lucius, mm -hmm. uh, Dave Manuk of illegal curve reported the other day that he's now seeing a, a specialist for his ankle injury. Um, he's been out of the lineup with concussions this year. And, and, um, he had another injury earlier on in the year. I can't remember what it was, but are we reaching a point maybe with Chaz Lucius where the injuries are just becoming too much to overcome? And, and uh, because what are we three years removed from his draft yep. year now, two years. So yeah. Are the injuries becoming too much for him? Maybe. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man. Um, mm. It's, it's really tough. He's, he's been through a lot, not just the injuries you mentioned. He had a chronic knee issue that he was dealing with for a while. He's had shoulder surgery. Like it's, it's one thing after another, suddenly the body starts to break down. And uh, I think it's natural for that to happen. If you're in your thirties, it's worrisome if you're 20, 21 years old and you're already starting to sort of feel aches and pains and have things that are never quite right. And things when you're rehabbing something else and something else flares up and it makes it harder to rehab both at the same time. And he's just had a lot going on injury wise. I, I think the talent is still clearly there. When he went to Portland last year, 
he was as dynamic a player outside of Connor Bedard as there was in junior hockey for a short time before suffering yet another injury, which ended his season. Right. So it's, it's difficult. The, the natural gift as a finisher uh, around the slot, even, even from mid range, uh, it's not sort of that long range Alex Ovechkin type scorer, but he he's a sniper from sort of anywhere in the middle of the offensive zone. He's got natural skill. Uh, he's a better playmaker than I think people gave him credit. Uh, but it's, it's tough. He's not a super athletically gifted kid to begin with. He was never a sort of great athlete and never a super strong fit kid, never the fastest kid. And then suddenly if you've got things that are nagging you all the time, it becomes hard to, to build on top of the clear skill and the clear shooting package and sort of round out the rest. So uh, it's, yeah, he's, I, I still believe in, in, and Lucius, I still think he's going to sort of figure it out and become an NHL player. There's there's enough talent there, but he's got to get healthy and stay healthy. And even when he does get back, you're looking at a longer timeline now because he just needs to spend a full season playing playing uninterrupted games. Like that's right. that's the biggest priority. So, uh, yeah, t- a tough break. They're lucky that they have guys like McGrady and uh, and Brad who are really sort of humming along and clicking. So it's not going to hurt them in terms of having options uh, to, to on ELCs in the next couple of years. Uh, you hope that Colby Barlow, who's also dealt with injuries this year, can sort of add his name to that group as well. So uh, there's still a, a good good group there, but uh, they were hoping that he'd be one of those, those same guys and fighting for a job over the next couple of years. And I'm just not sure that's realistic at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've seen even within the, uh, the Jets organization where some guys have got off to a bit of a slower start with injuries, like uh, kind of moving forward here, Cole Perfetti lost the better mm-hmm. part of two seasons because of a couple different injuries, but has really found his game this year. Uh, he was a player you were really high on as a prospect. And now that he's having a career year, what have you seen from him recently? You know, he's recently turned 22. He projects to be a fixture in the Jets top six. Uh, what are you seeing? I'm seeing exactly what, what you'd hope to see, which is the intelligence is starting to take over. There's another kid, not a great athlete, never been a great skater. He's not pounding weight in the gym, uh, but he has always had incredible creativity an incredible feel for the game and spacing and where to be on the ice and an understanding of how to get the most out of his game and how to play make and how to involve his line mates. He's got a natural wrist shot. All of those other tools are there and it's, it can be tough when you're average sized and you're not the quickest kid to, to reach your, your potential. But I think when there's such a high level of, of sort of IQ and I, I don't love the term IQ because I find it kind of ambiguous. It doesn't really tell you what you're talking about, but such mm-hmm. a high level in terms of seeing the ice, reading the ice, getting open, finding other players who are open timing. All of that is, is, if not elite, then, then close. Uh, and now it's, it's taking over and it's, 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 it's sort of Trump. It's the Trump card on some of his deficiencies, if you will. So I'm, I love Cole. I, he's an, another kid, awesome kid. Like him and Rutger both are just great kids, very articulate, well-spoken kids. And uh, not that that should influence how we view, how I view them as a hockey player or that kind of a thing, but it doesn't hurt. Um, and, and it's just, it makes him easier to root for easier to like, I think, I think he's going to be like, I still believe he's going to be a 70 point guy in the NHL. Like, I think you're talking, that's the kind of player you're talking about in the prime of his career. So, uh, and they're, they're, those guys don't grow on trees, right? Like if he can get to 
get to that level. He's a, he's a star player in the league. So um, yeah, it's a really positive step really the, this, this year. And, and you, you were starting to see it last year too. Like you could see it coming. So um, yeah, I'm, 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 I remain very, very high on Cole. Yeah. And kind of further to that point, there's at least one or two times a game where he will just make a pass where you did not even see where he was looking. You did mm -hmm. not see the player he was passing to, but it ends up right on their tape for a high nature chance. He, he does that with regularity and no one else on the jets is able to do that really at, at the level that he's able to, even at 22 years old, it's, it's really impressive. Um, you did bring up Colby Barlow. Um, just last question, just kind of rapid fire on some other prospects that are notable within the jets system. Uh, Nikita Chibrikov, mm -hmm. another smaller player that's having a, a good year with the moose, putting up near point per game. Um, Colby Barlow, you mentioned um, back injury, didn't make Team Canada. And then another player who didn't make Team Canada and everyone expected him to, Dom DiVincentis, the goaltender. Yeah. OHL goaltender of the year last year. What's going on there? Just kind of rapid fire on those those three notable Jets prospects. Yeah, Barlow was disappointing. I'm not sure whether based off of his play to start the year, I mean, part of mm -hmm. it, his play was influenced by the back, so it's hard to separate the back from the right. not not slow start. He was still very good to start the year in the OHL, but wasn't uh, sort of the, carb the the 50 goal guy OHL player that you sort of expect Colby Barlow to be based on his pedigree and what he's accomplished in terms of goal scoring at that level prior. Um, Colby's, a, Colby's a, just, just quickly, but Colby's a tough one because he... Uh, he doesn't have the pace and then he also isn't a sort of super cerebral smart. Like he's not that Cole Perfetti type as well. So uh, with him, it's all about the, the shot. It's about how hard he works. It's about his strength over pucks, really, really physically mature kid. I mean, we all saw that last year. He's walking up on stage with a beard, right? Like he's, <laughs> yeah. uh, he kind of reminded people last year. I had a few conversations with people about Aaron Eckblad at that same age where you'd take the CHL top prospects photo and you wouldn't know whether Aaron Eckblad or Colby Barlow are coaches or players. So um, <laughs> there's, there's that piece with Barlow. He's just very physically mature that way really sort of strong kid. He's, he's going to be a player. It, it, the question is, is he going to be sort of a bottom six guy or can he score enough to, to move up and play higher in the lineup? I think mm -hmm. ultimately he'll probably be an up and down the lineup guy. Like I think he, you'll probably see him on a third line at many points in his career. And then you'll probably see him move into a top six role and be a complimentary scorer and that kind of a thing. Like that's just kind of his, his mold. Uh, Chibrikov, nice story. Um, it's, it takes time with those Russians. You have to get them over here. You have to be patient with them in the AHL on the smaller ice surface. Um, the details and the structure in the game in Russia is much different than it is over here. So there's some coaching elements that have to take place before those players can often make the jump, unless you're talking about Matt Vaynichkov or someone who's truly special kind of thing. Uh, but Chibrikov's, I mean, he's just, he's checked out all the boxes you'd hope for him to check. And if he can become a complimentary sort of middle six guy, at some point, then that's, that's a big win. Uh, and then Devin Chentis is tough. Like he, it's been a bad year. Like you watch him, he just doesn't look himself. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing in the net. And that's a big worry with a goalie when they just lose it like that. Obviously very good last year was the front runner into the summer to be the starter on that team. And then just completely played his way off of it. He wasn't good in camp. He looked shaky. There were a couple of times where coaches were sort of warming him up in practice and beating him on sort of lofted shots from the hash marks. And there was actually one time where the coach sort of like looked at him over his glasses, kind of like that and said, didn't say anything to him, but was like, come on, like 
so th- there's been there's been a little bit too much of that for a kid who looked like he was going to show a lot of promise last year and he just looks a little shaky this season so um that he's got some things to work out in terms of just shots that that squeak through him that shouldn't be squeaking through him he does have some ability seems like a good kid and talking to him uh, but it's just he's he's got he's got some things to figure out and um same goes for for really their their goalies in general like Milich is is a long shot I think Devin Chentis is probably a long shot like they're just um, there isn't a, a sort of guy there in the pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's a focus for one of the next two drafts. Unfortunately, this draft isn't a particularly strong one in net. So, uh, but yeah, something to something to keep an eye on with the goaltending side of the prospect pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I think that's a good way to sort of segue here, where uh, the draft coming up. I think we would love to have you back on in and around there to see sort of what the Jets might be looking at, uh, you know, after the season. Um, But no, I think uh, that wraps it from us here. Um, But I just want to thank you again for coming back on, you know, one of the few who's been uh, a repeat guest with us. And uh, I know everyone really appreciates the, the insight on, you know, these young guys coming up that maybe some of them are a little bit, you know, they're not exactly sure what to expect. So at uh, a little bit of a look into uh, the, the process behind that but um before we uh, let you go uh obviously you talked about it at the, the top there but anything you want to plug no just uh my mid-season draft ranking will be out uh in the days immediately after next week's chl top prospects game i like to get it out as soon as the two top prospects games are over uh so that's the sort of top 64 for 2024 will be out uh and then the 32 prospect pool rankings. There won't be a lot of storytelling from me in the next month. It's all rankings, rankings, <laughs> rankings for the next month. And then I'll get back to the storytelling after that. So uh, yeah, this is a big time of the year. I mean, people just feast at the athletic on the, uh, the prospect pool rankings. So excited to start rolling those out and uh, don't expect to see, uh, see the jets in the thirties or even the twenties. So um, that's, that's positive. Yeah, it's great to hear. Thanks. Like Brian said, thanks once again for your time, Scott. Um, we really appreciate it. And yeah, we'll, we'll have you back on any time draft season. Um, if the Jets even have a first round pick, we don't know. We, they might make yeah, a big yeah. splash or something here, given how, how well they're playing. But thanks again for your time. Um, looking forward to those midseason uh, rankings. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks for uh, Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Level Flight Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network.